0: Would you start a new product when the category is pretty crowded already and most of the people that you talk to tell you, uh, maybe not a good idea. And even someone who already built a similar product for quite a time, so they have experience. And then you still do it. And so Oliver and Hamsam from Lightdash did it. They decided to do a... BI tool, visualization tool, but based on modern principles. And modern principles in that case is interesting because a lot of things have changed in how we create, set up data stacks in the last even just four or five years. And a lot of new workflows, processes have been established. and quite a big part was dbt that was for the first time a tool that could connect different kind of sql models so that they know from each other and they can be dependent on each other but additionally gave the possibility that you can create metadata around how data in the end gets modeled and how it is available for example bi tools And this metadata, I think, is still the most interesting part in a DBT setup. And LightDash decided to use this metadata layer in DBT, so where you can basically describe your model, um, to give you the possibility to also define uh, your metrics and dimensions and how these different kind of let's say, data tables relate to each other. So where you maybe get more context for a specific thing. And so they added something, which we call today the metric layer. And then they say, okay, we, you can use this metric layer then in LightDash to make the whole data more accessible for the different kinds of teams in your company that want to work with the data. So marketing, product, sales, whoever. So they basically get a prepared version of metrics and dimensions for them to work with and so they don't have to think about actually how do i get the revenue and where do i get the country information so i can drill it down by country so everything is there and everything works because you define it in a central place uh, in this metric layer and we discuss a lot of these concepts in this episode today and also talk about origins and um, why uh, the team of Light Lightdash still decided to do to go this way, and um, and what they want to achieve, um, and what they want to enable for. On the one hand, engineers to provide the data in in the right shape for the business people to access and work with it. So I hope you enjoy it. I enjoyed it a lot, and let's get into it. The time when analytics was simply Google Analytics is over now. Today you can build your analytics stack out of over 50 different tools, and new ones are coming in every month. Each of them has its benefits, but also limitations. Finding the right analytics stack has become quite a complex task that includes decisions about architecture, use cases, data ownership, performance, and lastly, legal aspects. This podcast tries to give you more context about the different options you have. By talking to leading people from different analytics companies, I'm trying to give you insights about the tools, the strategies, and the learnings that can help you set up a good analytics stack. Hello everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Meet the Analytics Stack. And today we meet Oliver, who is one of the founders of LightDash. Hi, how are you today?
1: Hey, Timo. I'm good. Thank you. It's a scorching hot day in the UK, which is extremely (laughs) rare. Uh, So I'm glad we're recording this in the morning while I'm still at like a normal body temperature because I'm going to pass out about after lunch, I think.
0: (laughs) Maybe you have to get used to it. I mean, There are some people telling that it's now like the new standard.
1: Yeah, I might have to. I think if I was going to pivot our business, I would start selling AC units in the UK because houses don't have them at all. But if it's going to be like this, I think everyone's going to (laughs) start installing them. Uh, So there you go. There's a a tidbit for somebody yeah, that, if you're looking, that would if, you, be great. if you're selling AC uh, so, units, get over um, to the UK. I also
0: can like <laughs> always invite, uh at the moment I invite all the people to come to just to Scandinavia because like we are now, I, I would say it becomes more and more attractive to move here. Especially mm-hmm. like when the middle of Europe is really like heating up. Yeah. And uh here we still have, I mean, it's warm here too, but definitely below 30. So
1: it's gonna become a productivity hotspot. Like once everywhere heats up, there'll be the mass migration north. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I see, see it happening. Everyone out to out to Stockholm to the woods. <laughs> um, excellent. So um maybe let's start
0: to can you give a little bit of background what Light Dash is doing? And so maybe also like to explain it for people. Who come from, let's say, this classic analytic world, where you get everything baked into one kind of product, and uh, you know that you have everything in there: tracking, reporting, analysis, and so on. So, what is Lightdash, and what um, makes Lightdash different to this, like, let's say, classic stuff?
1: Yeah. Okay. Great question. Um, yeah. So, Lightdash is an open-source project. It's a business intelligence tool, which I think for most people that you automatically can envision. Uh, a little of what it looks like and if you're not familiar with the phrase bi tool it's a way to visualize and chart and share um, information from the data you have in, in a database or a data warehouse so you take your database you stick a bi tool like Light dash on top of it and you can start building charts and dashboards and, and sharing them with your company so this tends to be one of the most frequent ways that people have um, you know charts and insights on their company data spread throughout the business. So for analysts, I'm sure this is really, really common. Um, yeah. What I think one thing you asked about there, Timo, was um, it, like how's it different from a kind of? Are you thinking of kind of the Google Analytics stack?
0: Yeah. Let's let let's let's take the Google Analytics thing, which I think still, I mean, most of the people still start out there, and so then mm-hmm. they venture out. And some stick with GA for quite a long time, and some just venture out and look into different things.
1: Yeah. Okay. Nice. Yeah, so GA and a lot of other vertical-specific tools. Maybe I'm going to mention some brand names cause, just because the I mean, way that helps. Marquito. That's totally okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, Braze. Um, I'm trying to think of revenue analytics companies. I know there are some that will connect to Stripe and uh, so those. Are metrics. Ver- which uh, which Chupugool. one is that? metrics Chartmogul. Okay, okay, nice. Yeah, you know the whole market. <laughs> nice. Um, so yeah, you have these vertical-specific tools, which are, uh, can be great to get started. Um, yeah, they connect to an existing tool or like GA. It can, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll put all the tracking code in for you, um, and then they give you some charts out of the box, uh, which is which is great to get started. But what happens very quickly um, is one of two things: either you need some kind of insight that isn't available in the tool, and you're at the mercy of whoever is building that, to come up with the, the inside analytics. So the data might actually be in the tools, so GA might capture it, or Marketo might, ca- might capture it, but they're not transforming it or presenting it in a way that you need for some you know, use case for your company. So that's one of the first restrictions. Much more common is there's some kind of internal data. There's something you have in your business, yeah. and you're like, I need this to be alongside my, my tracking code or alongside my revenue analytics. You know, most commonly, it's like your database of users. So internally, we have maybe their subscription type or how many times they did X or Y. Maybe they entered some information into the app, like their job title. And you want that job title to appear in Google Analytics, where you want it to appear um, uh, in Marketo. And so uh, this is what gave rise to data warehousing and also a bit of a, you know, a separation of the business intelligence layer that was less vertical. So people start warehousing all of that data in one place. So you can take your GA data um, or use something like Segment or Rudderstack for product analytics that goes in your warehouse, or your marketing data goes in your warehouse. And then from there, you're free to transform it yourselves and mix it up with your internal data. And so LightDash was really built for that world of the modern data stack, which is that we start with the assumption that all of your data is very efficiently getting pumped into your warehouse, which is easier than ever now, um, and that you start modeling from there. So maybe that's a a bit on how it's different from maybe the more traditional kind of GA-type analytics?
0: No, I think this is a great explanation. And and I totally see, especially like the use case that you describe uh, from the project that I do is like, this is like, often the first step is really like, okay, we have production uh, data in our production database, but we need this too. And so um, often like, even also like as a, as a baseline to check how the other stuff is working. So because I mean, in the end, uh, so especially like when you come from the analytics world, so usually I have 80% of data because you don't, don't get everything. And yeah. so like the the production data, of course, is like always important to know. And so like, and I think when the developers run the six times some kind of SQL query and send a CSV via email, so someone asks, okay, maybe is there a better way to do it? And so it's a good starting point. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, so what I would be really interested is like, I mean, at the moment, like I would say like we, we see data products popping up maybe every week. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Slow down <laughs> yes. a little bit, but still, still it's cooled, cooled off I we still yeah. see new stuff. Yeah. And uh, so, it's quite interesting that that you decided to go into the BI uh, layer because like a lot of stuff now at the moment happening on in other parts. So I would say like you have a data lineage observation catalog thing, every mm-hmm. this might be really like every week coming up and so but interestingly like i mean yes there is there are some things on the on the bi layer i mean but not so many so it's it's i was always curious like why you you uh, pick basically this kind of category and what was like the, the the first motivation that you said okay i need something different and so this is the reason why uh you started uh building this product
1: yeah that's uh a really good question. And, you know, what's quite funny is before we... There was quite a high barrier to start building a BI tool. I could get a bit into the yes. origin story. Uh, so I kind even remember the exact moment where we decided to do it. But the advice that we had was like, please do not do that. I don't bring another BI tool to a market. We even spoke to a founder of an unnamed, uh, very successful BI tool. <laughs> And they were like, I would not do this again. They're like, please, like, it's been like seven years of misery. Uh, Don't do it. Um, And so, yeah, So there was a lot was telling us maybe that's not a great idea. But for the very reason that you gave, there's a lot of innovation throughout the stack. So we spoke a bit about the modern data stack and data warehousing um, and data lakes happened where there was kind of fewer data silos, which is a really good um, motivation for, then this data mod, these data modeling roles, and the simplification of the stack, where people started just using SQL rather than streaming pipelines and things, um, you know, that were much more difficult to manage. Yep. Um, so that happens. We had the better transformation layers like DBT, and then we also have this catalog- cataloging and all sorts of observability, tons of interesting stuff happening in the space. And what we saw was that the BI tools, and it, it, if you look at when these, most of the, the, them were started. You know, we're a real baby. We've been around for just about a year. So I think a couple of months ago, GitHub gave us a notification that it was like a year since the first commit. Um, and so yeah, we're 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 definitely still an infant in the cradle compared to these others. And it, we just felt on the product roadmaps there was really no interest in integrating with th- 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 this new data stack. So with the new tools that are appearing, so there was a lot of innovation around the BI space. And I think what we saw was that there was a lot of metadata being produced and a lot of value being captured in these new parts of the data stack around transformations and observability that wasn't getting pulled into the BI layer. And that's this is pretty much where the rubber hits the road. You know, I mean dashboards it can be fun to hate on, dashboarding and and you know and and, and charts and things like that, but ultimately most companies would like one place that people go to for data, for anything you know, quotes the data. They just are like, I need something from the data. I want to go to the place for the data, <laughs> and that tends to be the BI tool. And so we were we were data consulting, Hamza and I, um and we found that that was just a really good point to put things like freshness tests, observability related stuff, and there was so much information in the transformation layer that wasn't getting pulled through, like lineage, and and so that was the origin of of Lightdash, is that we wanted to make a BI tool that integrated much more deeply with with the rest of the stack, and we started with DBT. So um, LightDash mm-hmm. um, is a bit on top of a DBT project. Maybe we can go more into that in, in detail.
0: Yeah. Yeah, um, maybe let's already start that, because I think, like, there are two aspects that, I mean, you already described what makes LightDash different. And I really like the origin story because I think it really makes sense. And you always see this, like, you always have this wave. So a lot of stuff happening in between. And then people start to revisit, um, let's say, categories where everyone thought, okay, this is already done. So, I mean, just look in data integration. Everyone is like, I mean, FiveTrend, yeah, they did everything, so we don't have to do data integration again. I mean, look today, so it looks totally different because like stuff happening in between and people revisit like the new variables and then look, maybe we need something different. And so, and I think I really like it that it's also like happening in the visualization layer which um, I was for me was, was always like underserved. So of course there there was like some some known ones, but as you said, so I I sometimes really had the expression either they were just innovating in doing better sales processes, um, or they were innovating in doing even crazier chart types, and so yeah. But uh, as you said, so like for me and I. I know that we talked about this even before. It's like for me, it's always like the frustrating part about the, let's say the, the the dashboard or visualization layer was like the amount of time that I lose to set up something up there. And so for me, it's like so I get a lot of automation stuff now down on on like on other operational layers. And then when I have to create the dashboard, I still have to click everything together. Right. And, yeah. Uh, I, yeah. It usually really gets my mood down. And so this yeah. is like so, so coming back to this. So uh, when when I just covered LightDash for the first time, there were two aspects that really stand out for me. And I would really like to talk a lot more about them because I think this is really what makes the experience unique. And One is like the deep dbt integration so um, everyone who already invested into setting up something with Mm -hmm. dbt and what kind of degree. And the second thing really like that you um, basically bring a layer where I can define um, the metrics and dimension that I want to use in a central place Mm. and so um what people today call metrics layer or um, semantic layer or whatever and so maybe can you describe um how people can do this uh with light dash and so how it plays
1: together with dbt yeah okay yeah sure maybe we can talk a bit on the semantic layer and why that's useful and then how we kind of leverage dbt for yeah sure let's start there okay yeah let's do that um so the semantic layer is, and the metrics layer, I'll use the two completely interchangeably, uh, and which is which is not useful at all. But the the, the semantic layer is. I'm, let me think of what the opposite of the semantic layer is. So we, you create your tables, and maybe that's the raw data that you're dumping in a data warehouse. So I'm going to assume at this point that the and these are our target users are people that have one data warehouse where they're putting all of their data in. It usually ends up in there in a raw format, which is generally not that useful. Somebody will go in and clean it up, and they'll make it sort of analysis ready, which means tidying things up, normalizing names, maybe joining some data together, and you know, doing some transformations. Um, and you can give that to your end users, which is quite common. So a lot of most BI tools, the starting point is, t- tell me the credentials for your database. It then scans the tables, and then it's like, great! Everyone in your organization can access all the tables in your database. Like you're, you're good to go. <laughs> and yeah, in general, that just scales terribly because the, most people's jobs isn't to understand uh, the tables. Uh, the table format is is actually excellent, uh, a great way to consume data, a great way to manipulate data in spreadsheets and an Excel and things like that. Um, but you don't get a lot of information by seeing columns, even with descriptions. Like what? What mixes together? What can I join together? If I understand what joining is, um, what can I group by? What filters are valid for you know this kind of thing? So if you just think about something like revenue, um, what are the ways we can slice revenue that actually makes sense? How do I make sure I'm not double counting invoices and things like that? And none of that information is in a table per se, and you can keep aggregating them if you want. So you know you could aggregate a final report, um, but you lose flexibility because like, you you create the report once, and if it needs a tiny tweak. And someone's like, "Oh, you need yep. to regenerate that that final table." So ideally, we there's a middle ground, which is I believe is a semantic layer, which is that it has just the right amount of flexibility. It has the building blocks that people need to query your data, and not shoot themselves in the foot, which is the key part. Um, but uh, it enables them to self serve and, and, and you know kind of build stuff from scratch. And so what you do is you say for revenue, it's not only a column. But you specify the ways that it can be sliced and the, the way that it can be filtered. And you can specify things that it joins to behind the scenes as well, which means I can slice revenue by geography, even if, even if that's in another table. I can filter it to certain segments of my users um, without actually having to know how users join to invoices, join to transactions and, and all of that. So it's just about baking in. And it's basically SQL templating. So for technical folks listening, um, it writes SQL queries for you. Um, and the idea is that, like, instead of having to teach people around your organization to generate SQL, um, oh, sorry, to write SQL for themselves, um, it basically pattern matches. Uh, I'm trying to work on a useful visualization for this. I'm working all the time on how to best describe the the semantic there. But I think for most, if there are analysts listening and you're writing SQL every day, if you know, if you take your maybe ten of your SQL transformations or SQL scripts and look at them, you'll see they follow, you know, a really clear pattern. And so when you see patterns like that, um, that's where the software engineers start thinking, hmm, maybe we can (laughs) start generating this in some kind of way. And then the question is always whether the abstraction is actually useful. So is the semantic layer useful? And I I think, you know, we, we didn't invent semantic layers. It's a very old concept that goes back to the idea of OLAP cubes um if people used to work with yeah. kind of business objects and things like that um and it, it it's really really lasted and it's it's gone in and out of favor and gone by different names as we're now finding with metrics layer and semantic layer um but yeah it turns out to be an abstraction that is very very useful it not only creates like really nice user experiences uh which is basically what Lightdash is all about so it's about taking the semantic layer and creating a great ux for people that um you know aren't really data savvy um but uh, it also gives you reliable results it helps you govern your data um, and it helps keep keep people productive so that's what the semantic layer is all about and a little bit about how it's kind of pieced together
0: yeah yeah um, i think like like for me like the important part is also like uh, you, you describe this uh, this uh, how this this process really nicely so how people really start out so like saying okay just we we here the here's or they often even do it on a production database, which I just want to say—not okay, yeah. a good idea. <laughs> At least use a read replica. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so now um, well, there's someone like in high traffic runs some weird queries and slows yeah. everything down, and yeah. then. But I, in the end, like what what I always see is like in data, and it's like I think this is like the part that sometimes like, especially when you come from engineering, sometimes forget because you. You live some kind of your world. It's like these translation into into like these um, these other people's realities. And like a, a marketing person reality is not uh, to open up a a SQL notebook and and uh, is doing a I don't know three hour analysis of different kind of like segmentations and so on. Just writing um, SQL queries. And so there are some marketing people who can do this, but they are really rare. Mm-hmm. And the other marketing person's job is basically like to. I don't know. Create a really great campaign that combines different kind of messaging and branding and so on. So this is their daily job, not the other part. And these, like, creating this bridge and make it a lot easier is, um, I think, still not really well served um, in the data part. And this is what I, for example, like about the the metrics layer is like that at least like this is like a first step to translate things into the into the realities of other people, and uh, and without even like changing table design and so i mean this would be the other solution that you just change table design which mm-hmm. yeah i mean that doesn't even work either so i tried this before and <laughs> so how how does light dash do so where where can you define um, your metrics layer um, in light dash
1: yeah so this was uh yeah i get but going back to the beginning of light dash yeah um, we we picked DBT as something that our users were um, picking up when we first used a tool, maybe two or three years ago. Um, you know, as exploding in popularity, and for, en- for engineers, it really clicked. So we, we were consulting and we were taking it to companies. We say, you know, and they'd have a range of ways to transform their data. Um, I'm sure people have heard this story many times now with DBT being so prolific. Um, but we-, we would roll it out and say, like, hey, what if you just write a bunch of SQL scripts and then occasionally on a cron job you you run. This D B T run thing and everything updates, and then everyone's like, the thing, the same thing I thought at the time was like, why didn't I think of this? Like, why wasn't yeah. I doing this before? Uh, so, yeah, that clicked really well, and so we really felt that this that was going to explode, um, and we were heavy Looker users too, and so we, you know, it's we'd been around the block with LookML, and there was just a lot of frustration in managing the semantic layer in one tool and all of our transformations in another tool um dbt also brought a bit more kind of developer friendliness so being able to work on the cli versioning things in github um you know just being able to work with the tools that our kind of our users were used to so having vs code open and having you know a a chart open and being able to have a really quick developer feedback loop um and so what we what we decided was we would build a bi tool that rather than just connect to a warehouse and see tables, it would sit on top of your dbt project. And from there, it gets a lot more metadata about um, where those tables came from, uh, when they were last updated. um, And it also just integrates really seamlessly into the developer experience and reduces the number of tools. And so what we did was we used, um, there was a tag in dbt called uh, meta, which was basically to put anything in it. So you could say, Uh, So if you aren't familiar with dbt, you write SQL scripts to transform your data. But alongside that, you add some metadata about your tables. So you document the column descriptions. You can write some tests. So you say this is expected to be a foreign key. This one's expected to be unique all the time. Um, And there was a free meta field where you could type what you want. So what we tried doing, this was before we actually built LightDash, is we moved the look ml that we were writing into that meta tag essentially and we wrote a script um a package called nice. dbt to looker um, that would transpile but it would basically translate um all the looker stuff from dbt and it really reduced all the tooling and, and they were just to build, build some cool magic where if you know you deleted a column in your dbt script it would automatically be deleted from everything upstream and looker and things like that um, and that was a big experiment because we didn't know at the time whether people wanted to write their metrics in DBT. Um and it split the room, I would say, at the time. So about half the people were like, I hate it. No, I don't want that to be there. And some people were like, this is really game-changing. Sub- substantially reduces my tool set. It also gives me yeah. um, you know, great developer experience. So that we we kind of kept working on that package more and more. And then there there was just features that we wanted to build where we were really couldn't get away from like we might have to build the entire downstream bi stack um you know where the rubber hits the road for data consumers to make this workflow really really tight for dbt users and so yeah so the the way it works is if you already have a dbt project um you spin up Lightdash, you point it at the project and immediately you'll see all of your dbt models um with a a couple of example metrics so for example just counting the number of rows which for a you know a table of orders is your order count and you get a this Explore interface, which is low code and very intuitive um, for less technical users. And they can just go in and start splitting down that DBT model, cut it all sorts of different ways and filter it. It gets much more exciting when you start adding some of your own metrics and start adding some semantic layer definitions. And that all happens in DBT.
0: And um, and so I think that's, that's also like... Um, how to say i think it splits up at the moment so i definitely in the camp that that i like uh, that i can do it there because i don't want to have 20 tools to do different kind of things somewhere and so like and the great thing is like i mean i don't really know how much dbt understood the important or understands the importance of this metal layer yet so i think they start a little bit but still like for me of course, like SQL orchestration solved a lot, uh, like to do these dynamic relationships, and so it's still like it's it's great because I think I think this was like that triggered everyone. First time you saw it was like, oh yeah, actually I can get away from these crappy airflow stuff that was never really working well. Yeah, and um, but what I see today is really like um, this meta layer is so amazing because like in the end, I mean it's 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 an open config file, and so and it's nice that it's kind of open and i see even more um other tools going the same direction so um for example i talk with an observer but uh, money it's more monitoring monitoring tool um who's doing the same stuff so you can basically define uh, monitoring tasks and so on just in in the same thing and so and you build the logic there and you can reuse it um, like in in other places and so how if if I would now say okay I have I have let's say I have a let's say mid-sized DBT project and I want definitely want to to get um, my metrics and dimension defined so it's easier for people to really analyze to really see so for example uh, I'm a company so for us um, revenue is not just the sum of all um let's say order totals so but we we have some logic because we deduct some kind of let's say I don't know shipping from that, because this is how someone decided in the company to do it. And so how do I, how do I approach this? So, um, what kind of things do I have to do then? um,
1: Let's say in the, in the model config to, to achieve that. Okay. Yeah. Good question. And also that's probably one of, um, 27 definitions of revenue, right? At at some point someone's going to sit down and be like, let's agree on one. Um, and the next best step after that is to encode it somewhere. And that's what the semantic layer is, you know, is all about. Let's yeah. get that written down uh, as code, which is a great way to agree on business logic is to write it down. Um, and so, yeah, so the steps would be um, for you, if you were defining revenue, you, you, you would uh, open Lightdash and you automatically see the diff- the dimensions, which are the ways that you can slice the metrics. But what you need to do is define the revenue metric, which could be defined, like you said, across a number of tables. Because maybe it uses information yeah. from a shipping table and things like that. So um, you declare how um, those revenue tables are joined together, um, which is pretty simple. You just kind of specify the keys that they they join on, then if it's one-to-one or one-to-many. Um, and then you might need to apply some filters. So it's quite common for a revenue metric that maybe there are just certain types of transactions you don't want to count towards the revenue. So you would apply these filters. And again, those filters will never be seen by the consumers of that revenue metric. You know, as far as they know, it's called top line revenue or something. They they don't need to know all of that stuff underneath. And then you would probably make it a sum, um, like a sum type metric. And then what happens is when people use the UI, they'll click that same metric, but they might combine it with other dimensions. So let's see revenue by geography, or let's see revenue over per week, or let's see a period over period analysis. And every time it's got that little snippet of SQL that defines the business logic for the revenue, and it's going to generate queries in all sorts of different shapes and sizes and insert that, um, like that, that repetitive definition everywhere. So it's exactly the same. Um, and no matter kind of what shape you want the end data in, you get that, uh, you get the correct numbers, which, which is really what the semantic layer is about from, for, for governance. It's, it's like how can you make the data consumers win, which ultimately is what the data teams are trying to do. Um, unless you're serving an internal product use case, but the, you're trying to get everyone around the company to self serve effectively, and you're also trying to give yourself leverage. Right? You're try, like, what is the most amount of people I can serve with a data team of the size that I have, especially if my budget is constrained? And so we think about that all the time with like that in terms of like the product features we build, but also about the semantic layer generally. Um, and so the idea there wh- wh- when you write this definition, which takes some time, um, is that you, you've done it once and you really give yourself leverage because like once you've had those tough meetings on deciding what revenue is and there was probably some fist fights you know and uh, but eventually somehow the execs plus the data team plus the product teams managed to settle on a revenue figure, you've done the hard work, you, you, you encode it once. And then people can start requesting it um, in the ways that they need. The finance need the revenue for different reasons than product, and then growth analytics, and they get to slice and dice it their own way. You don't have to create a report for each one of those teams. Um, oh, yeah, I hope I, I hope that was clear. This we should definitely yeah. do, Timo. Uh, we can do a coding demo. Like, let's build a semantic layer from scratch. Um, yes, I, I, we do I, that. I think that'd be good fun. Also, I, you put it quite well when you first used. Um, like that, so I remember we got on a call after you tried it, and you'd used Looker previously, but maybe a few years ago, or you you'd used another semantic yes. layer a few years ago. And it, I think the phrase you said is like, "I feel like I'm back at home." You know, like I've yes. got my, I've got my semantic layer back. Do you remember the feeling? I mean, what was different than what you were doing before?
0: That was yeah, no, it's it's really funny because um, it was really like feeling coming home because the interesting thing is like um, so. I did some projects with Luca, I think, five years ago or so. And it was kind of natural to really use this kind of structure. And it was not really like to um, to feel uh, the benefits of it. It was more like, uh, I mean, Luca at some point was really like kind of a standard thing uh, for people who want to do more than Tableau at some point. And so like in, in this project we did we did a lot of uh, like data warehouse stuff for e-commerce. And so it was always like the same combination, uh, Redshift plus Looker. And uh, so it, everything was natural. And then um, I ventured off to different kind of other projects. And then we always use different tools. So um, I always avoided Power BI because I mean, I have a Mac, I cannot even install this stuff. And so, <laughs> okay, yeah. um, and, um, but other things. So like, let it be Metabase or so like it, it was okay because um, it it allowed me to do to write some SQL and so. But for me, it always, mm. I I, I f- looking back, I think I was always avoiding to work in these kind of tools. I was always trying to hand it off to other people to do yeah. l- the last, let's say, the last part of all the things. So I prepared everything beforehand. So prepared the last reporting table, then to other people that like, hey, now you can build all your stuff on top. And this feeling, home feeling, was really like that. Um. I could sit down and just think about okay what kind of metrics and dimensions are interesting for me so i didn't even have to think about the kind of report that i want to do about that so i I basically split the decision up so i I said okay um so for example um, analyzing my content so which at the moment i'm doing so it's like Okay, what kind of metrics at the moment are important for me, uh, which basically give me a signal of, of, of reaching things. So for me, it's like, it's even like a simple one. I want to see if I really stick to my creating goals. And so mm-hmm. then I could define this kind of metric and I could do the same as already uh, described. It's like, I could think, okay, what would be good breakdowns of this kind of metric? So what do I need? And then I just wrote it down in, uh, in my D- uh, dbt configuration. And mm-hmm. then I went over and to do some some charts to look like okay if i need a daily check-in dashboard uh, how could it look like and then it was so i mean this was i think this was in this home feeling it's like yeah i just have the set that i just defined before and just put it together in different kind of combinations and done and for me this whole process feels better because i separate two different things that usually Gets confused if I just work with SQL queries directly mm-hmm. in some kind of visualization tool. And yeah. that drives me crazy. And the other use cases, like I, um, for example, in another project where we used some other software where, where we had to create, we recreated everything all the time. So mm-hmm. it was yeah. so, it was like, oh, yeah, so okay, again, I have to create this kind of snippet, uh, SQL snippet, put it in here, and so on. And so, and of course, like these tools also offer possibilities to on the save it somewhere and then reuse it. But it's it's somewhere on the side. It's not in the center. And yeah. like um, the experience here was was the metrics layer. The metrics layer is in center, and everything is built on top. So it definitely always goes through. It's not like a, a let's say an additional feature somewhere. So, but it's it's a core thing. And that I think was was the same difference. Uh, most of the difference for me.
1: Yeah, that's actually a good point about. How writing the SQL sometimes confuses the data cleansing and cleaning and the kind of analysis type work. And sometimes you'll see, you know, people have their projects where there's like uh, ten tables of depth because they get increasingly more kind of analysis ready. Um, but what I think what's nice about the BI layer is you start to draw a really hard line, and you're like, that's there's a side that's for the analysts that, the, that, that they need to worry about, and that's why the data team's job is so hard because they Basically, have to hold business context plus technical skills yeah. plus maybe the limitations of the engineering organization. And I know one thing that's important to UTMO is like increasingly they need to understand about like web tracking, like networking, cookies, and there's just so much to to think about. So they've got enough on their plate, but it's about creating a really good handoff point for the rest of the organization um, that hopefully once you've set up needs needs less maintenance. Um I think, and we could
0: handoff yeah, point so is a
1: really great term for that. Mm-hmm. Because this is always hard to define
0: where I mean at the moment handoff points are often like ready dashboards. and so um, but this is not really ideal. I mean for some dashboards, yes, I mean you have this generic one that everyone is using, but yeah, for most of the dashboards, yeah. not really because you are not in the head of the people who work with these kind of data. and so of course they they have a different kind of ideas and I really like that uh, first of all, I really like the term handoff. Um, and I think like moving the handoff point, to a step earlier, but keep the same quality and sanity of the data. I think this is really great.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing on surveying that the semantic layer does, we spoke a bit about maybe the benefits to you as a developer, which is that you got to just write it and then you write the kind of the semantic layer once, and then you have so much flexibility to just generate, you know, reliable useful answers from the, the data but the other thing is it actually enables and this is kind of the fun thing about building visualization on top of semantic layers you know which is basically the job of everyone at it, it you get to build some really cool user experiences because there's so much rich information so things like okay really simple stuff is that part of the semantic layer um you go beyond typing in your database when your database it's a float but in your semantic layer, it's dollars or it's you know percentages and it has three decimal places. So it's nice that like however you compute it, you'll see all around the app that the formatting will be you know just right. So that, like, no matter how you interact with the data, it's formatted in the way you, you expect. You can like you know, you can add things together and the percentages just work out and things like that. And we also get cool magic like um, drilling into stuff. So you can, you know click on a, let's say, um, on Wednesday last week, there was like a spike. There were 75 orders um, because I've clicked. I want to see number of orders per day. Um, and what you can do is you can just click on that metric. And by having the semantic layer enables us to kind of map out how everything in your warehouse is related. And so you can just pop out you know, those 76 orders and you can see all of the information there. And what's fun about that is that it's not... That's pro- In our experience, that's probably the most common interaction that um, the data consumers do is they just see the number and they're like, what happens if I click it? Like, oh, I get way more information about where that number came from. Um, and then you can go and keep keep exploring and keep drilling down and keep clicking through stuff. And that's kind of, that, I, that kind of power is what you get in the semantic layer. And, you know, at Lydash, we've probably built, you know, about a third of what we can, um, you know, that we can really imagine building on top of the semantic layer. And there's probably, you know, much more way beyond as the product roadmap ex- extends. But there's also, I think one thing that's, so often we talk about governance with the semantic layer, like, oh, you know, make sure everyone has the same definition of revenue or things will fall to pieces. But a lot of the time, people are just struggling to get people to get eyeballs on the data and to interact with it in some way. So, writing the semantic layer also enables really nice user experiences for less technical people. And I think that's, um, I don't know, that's something I talk about a lot because I don't know, we're building a tool to do that. But it really is only because the semantic layer exists that Light Dash can have those features in there. Mm.
0: And it's, it's good that you really mention it because I think, yeah, I sometimes forget it too, but you know that I'm always very, uh, how to say, already very focused on this kind of drill down things because like, I as you said, so this is the next question. When I build something, uh, someone says, yeah, I want to click there. I want to see the details about it. And I want to slice it there. I want to click there on this column and then I want just see this, um, I don't know, as uh, as the sole filter criteria uh, and so on. And um and I think this, like coming back to, to the Looker experience, this was what, let's see from from the user experience, what always made the difference for me um, comparing to Tableau. Mm-hmm. I mean, so of course, like you can also drill down and link stuff uh, in Tableau, but it's not so natural. And Looker was always natural because you defined it before and LookML, mm-hmm. like the relationship. So everything really falls hand in hand. And I think this is really interesting. Maybe even interesting in the, in the future when... I don't want to open up the bucket of data products today, because I think then we have to (laughs) put in another hour to discuss this. But if we imagine a world, let's say, beyond just dashboards or some just reports, but maybe like, I don't know, really like operational applications that are fed by data and that using data, but other things as well. So to have a relationship between kind of data, I mean, in the end, it's, it's super important to even like build these kind of applications because... Um, yeah, disconnected stuff makes it super hard. Then you have to create, the, let's say, the connection logic in the application. And then when the connection logic changes underneath, and so then it doesn't really, yeah, represents anymore. And so you build a lot of, I don't know, weird stuff, I assume.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think um, there's a lot further that these metrics can go. Uh, yeah. You know, beyond with what we're doing today, I think that's what's kind of exciting. And you mentioned all these new product categories Spinning up, and you can imagine them starting to ingest metrics from, you know, from the semantic layer. And I think that's sometimes why they, and there is a bit of investment to to to, to write the semantic layer. Um, not huge, and the payoff, you know, is big. And I think that the the return on having that semantic layer and maintaining it is is going to grow over time as the kind of ecosystem grows too.
0: I think it can also go the other way around. So they can, for example, play stuff back to the semantic layer as well. So mm-hmm. let's assume you can see how much query costs one metric is generating. I mean, I don't know if it's super helpful, but sometimes it is because like, it gives you something like an understanding for a business. is like, okay, the, the way how we define revenue at the moment costs our data team, I don't know, costs us so much query time and the data team so yeah. much headaches because uh, the complexity is really quite high. I mean, this is like this... I sometimes have these kind of discussions. They're super hard to do because they're like, I mean, you're engineers, so you can figure it out. So yes, of course we can. But I mean, it, it has an effect. It creates depth. Uh, it creates mm-hmm. problems in the future, and it's super hard to argue about that. And so, to having more, let's say, connections and show people connections, how how difficult it might be, can really help sometimes to maybe argue for a different kind of way to approach things.
1: Yeah, definitely tying the lineage back from. The metrics through to almost yeah. computational work. So how, how's that happening? And, and also if jobs fails, you know, so you ran the query, but it's right yes. on data that we expected to be up to date. Uh, uh, you know, it was, was meant to be updated this morning, but it wasn't. You know, it could be another piece of technical information that you can pump to the metric and you can put a flag on it and say, hey, this metric is, it's not working. It's not up to date. You can query it, yes, but like the numbers you get are probably wrong. Yeah. It, which is, uh, yeah, sorry, go on.
0: You already said, so, like, I mean, of course, product roadmap. I mean, um, so for, let's say, what are currently, like, um, the, the the focus area where you want to see, like, where where LightDash is moving in, let's say, the next six to 12 months? So what are really, like, the things that you are focusing on to, to enable users? And so what is the goal behind that?
1: Yeah, um, so... I don't know. We, we, we ship pretty fast, so I'm going to cut the horizon down to... So like over the next three months, yeah. um, there's going to be a lot more improvements to uh, drill down and those kind of interactions that people take with the UI, creating charts and um, just adding a lot more out-of-the-box stuff, which is really our, one of our key design principles. Uh, it's, a, it's kind of a sensible default, but quite deep configuration. And so we're adding more sensible defaults around interactivity. So if you build a dashboard, by default, people are able to drill down and click and combine different elements of all the charts. And and that's exciting and also just kind of challenging. It's part of the data role again, where we're juggling the engineering effort of building a full stack JavaScript product with really deep (laughs) knowledge of like chart configurations and how people build charts and some just fr- surprisingly frustrating things like uh, labels overlapping and charts you know this, this is so hard to avoid it's like you can build any chart you want and we promise the labels will never overlap it's extremely difficult uh, i hate the front s- end
0: for these kind of reasons <laughs> yeah <laughs> cuz as yeah. you said it's so frustrating yeah but it's it's, it's great that you put in the work, work there so i mean in the end it's I mean, this is what this is what makes it really acceptable for a huge broad of uh, audience to work with these kind of things. Right? Uh,
1: yeah, I, I agree. And our front end team—it uh, really astounds me actually, because my background in data and maybe some back end engineering, everything's very functional. You know, like stuff comes in, gets changed, and then it goes out. But these front end engineers are always thinking about state. You know, like when you, when you have the the app open in front of you, y- you want all of this magic. Like, well, I've just Updated uh, a post in you know this part of the app, but I should see it update in the sidebar in my list. And that they're probably all making a hundred API calls behind the scenes when you click one button. And yeah, it's a it's a whole new world, and it, it always impresses me. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so that's probably the focus for the next three months on on data activity. Mm-hmm. And in six to twelve, you'll probably see more hardening around some of the governance and enterprise features in the front end, so restricting. Oh, the sales team can see the sales dashboards. Yeah. Um, uh, some performance improvements, so preventing people from querying more than a year ago, for example, is common to optimize, you know, uh, query costs to make sure people don't accidentally scan terabytes of data. Um, and and and, th- and those those kind of performance tweaks. So uh, Lightdash is open source. People self-host it. We probably have about seventy percent of the user base self-host, and the rest of the people use our. Uh, Hosted offering if they don't want to wrestle with Docker all day and if they want to get managed updates the day they're released. Um, So we'll be investing some time into um, features that hardened, bigger enterprises using uh, the uh, the self-hosted and the hosted product too. Um, And so we just shipped, uh, for example, some single sign-on, Okta and SAML type things. So you'll see more of those uh, kind of features. But right now we're very laser focused on um, exactly... Uh, how, uh, how we can kind of maximize interaction with with the dashboards and, and charts that you build. Uh, some education pieces as well. So getting people into the Explorer. We find there's a spectrum of usage. So you'll find the the CEO will probably consume dashboards happily, probably actually won't use the Explorer um, yeah. to go click around stuff, depending actually. It does depend on the company and, and, and kind of how data savvy they are as a whole. Um, but we're trying to get people further down and building more of their own stuff. Um, and so there'll be some more features, uh, some more shortcuts appearing around the app that just enable you to jump just to the right piece of data at the right time. Yeah, um, That's and great. then Yeah, nice. And then just keep doubling down on our developer workflow. We did. We didn't get too much into that, but um, maybe we can talk about this a different time. But the <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> no, we sh- we should definitely do the the we are building a semantic layer session. Uh, I think this is really something that uh, also, like for other people to really see, okay, this is, this is what you can do there. And maybe, so first of all, I'm, I'm really looking forward to the drill down. So um, I already expressed my my very, very big interest. <laughs> so I'm really happy to see that. And uh, because like it, it changed a lot of things for let's say the end users and the kind of things. I mean, uh, it I don't analyze so much. So for me, like my life doesn't uh, change so much, but I know for a lot of people that work on the things that I create, uh, for them mm-hmm. it makes it really powerful um because now it a chart becomes an application and so and this uh this is really cool and um maybe like uh as a kind of ending note so what i can definitely recommend everyone who's like you already have some kind of uh, dbt setup already um definitely uh, try out lightash i so you even have something I know in the in the CLI. I think, I don't know if it's already uh, released yet, So, but you showed me already that uh, even you have a way that uh, you can use um, light-cli, and this light-cli can basically um, generate your um, model definitions if you don't have it yet. I think this was something that you yep. showed me.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's out. So it keeps your uh, dbt project up to date. It writes all your model de- definitions for you and... Even suggest a few metrics now as well, if if, if you want that. Um, and it's yeah, it's, it's a super
0: quick start. So I mean, it also gives you then the possibility to just start to document things. I mean, then uh, you have a description thing, and you can document. And the nice thing is, like, the document comes up uh, to light as well. So like, uh, you see the stuff that you just define. And then uh, yeah, so um, it's it's really easy to start out. A lot easier than you know, with the other tools where you have to create a lot of custom thing yourself. So uh, just to Enable metrics layer um, is something that, yeah, I mean, especially like for ones who are in this situation that you just described, I mean, they have some production database, maybe they have a simple DBT model on top and then adding this uh, to to the stack is, I guess, the easiest way to start out and to visualize like the core things. So thank That's you so it, much yeah. for your time. That was, and also like uh, sharing like, how you started out this for me always like very interesting to really learn what was the initial motivations because you often see it like baked in the product in a very deep level and you can you can see it there as well so like that that you really say okay we don't want to introduce uh, three other tools so we really want to make sure that like uh, the tools work neatly together so
1: yeah that was actually a really interesting question you said why a bi tool you know why why adding a product in (laughs) In that very crowded space. And I think you just kind of gave a great answer for that, which is that it's, uh, it's just a different time. There are yep. n- more assumptions. The users are at, at a different place with different stacks than they were 10 years ago. And that's just kind of enabled us to take some shortcuts, uh, uh, to, to skip features that like old products had in. Um, it's, yeah, it's kind of, uh, there are new roles. Data people have changed. They're more technical, um, the, it, they're more technically true. savvy. Yeah. And I think a tool that reflects that just helps them be way more productive.
0: Yeah, I think this is a good closing note.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's good. (laughs) Thank you for your time. Thanks, Timo. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Thank
0: you for listening to this episode. I hope you found some stuff that was interesting. Maybe even new, maybe triggers some further thoughts um, in your head so that maybe gives you a new perspective on a specific topic at least this is what i'm always loving about podcasts so it triggers my brain to do crazy new things and um, i hope you found something interesting um, in this episode as well so One important thing, if you have any kind of questions about the tools we are discussing in this podcast, any kind of questions about tracking setups in general, how you should approach a specific kind of problems, or even if you say, I don't have really an idea what kind of tracking setups make sense for my business for the current situation that it's in. Um, just reach out to me. And so this is pretty easy. So on the one hand, you can all go over to LinkedIn and you can type in my name. You can find me and you can just write me a message. That's one way. And the other way is like, you can also go on our website, deepskydata.com. And there is um, a, a button um, that you can set up a call. So you can click it, you can schedule 30 minutes with me. And these 30 minutes are always free, so um, no obligations, it's just like, it's, it's, it's not a sales call. So it's really like, you can put in your question, you can put in your problems where you're basically stuck. So I can pre- present you maybe one or two ideas how I would approach these kind of topics. And that's it, so I'm, I mostly want really want to help here. Uh, to to basically unblock you and give you some new ideas so uh, if that's something for you don't hesitate, just reach out Um, this will be super fun to do Um, and I see you in the next episode